Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We're sitting here on location in the heart of Grand Canyon. We are just downstream of President Harding Rapid at Eminence Fault Line, running through the Redwall Limestone, and that's a hike that we plan on doing tomorrow. I'm sitting here with a friend, mentor, and legendary guide, Araya Rusis, and she guides all over the world. She's been here for over 25 years, and it's an honor to sit here with her today on a bunch of boulders that have fallen pretty recently, as far as geology is concerned. Huge one right above us. We're um, sitting here above camp, a large tamarisk tree is right below us, and a nice view downstream while we watch some pretty strong storm clouds pass and not hit us this evening, inshallah. Araya, thank you so much for making the time to sit with me on the rocks today and tell us a little bit about your life. Thanks. Um. <laughs> Rhea, my first question for you is, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? I was born in New York and lived there until I was three and then we moved to Connecticut. But it was, it's kind of funny because uh, yesterday we were floating down the river and it was kind of calm and no one was talking to me. And I was like, how did I end up here? I was thinking about that. And I realized that as a small child, I was caged a lot and uh, not in a bad way. (laughs) When we lived in New York, my dad put a little round fence in the backyard about four feet high of fencing. And my mom would just throw me out there in my little poncho. My grandmother (laughs) knitted me and I would spend hours in the backyard because I couldn't escape from that. You know, I probably was really ADD and hyperactive is what I've come to conclude. And when I'd go to bed at night, I'd get into my little crib and they would cage me and duct tape it closed so I couldn't climb out of the crib. (laughs) (laughs) So they keep scissors there in case there's a fire or something they can get me out quick. I mean, they're safe. But uh, yeah, I liked being caged up, but it also gave me freedom to like hang from the bars and run around the outdoors. And maybe that's why I'm out here right now to get away from those cages. Yeah, so that was my young childhood. And growing up, we never did any adventures, really. I was a bluebird, and my mom took me camping with my little bluebird troop. Brownies are Girl Scouts, but they're cooler. Better uniform. <laughs> little blue skirt, white shirt, red vest, and a little baseball cap with a bluebird on it. And he sold candy instead of cookies. So uh, I pulled my little wagon around the neighborhood and sold candy to old people. Yeah. That was basically it. So, you know, we, I played the cello and, you know, we go to the opera and to the cities. My dad's idea of camping was maybe a Motel 8 or Motel 6, whatever. We never did it. So never experienced really the outdoors until I got to college. And then more so once I started guiding, just doing longer and longer adventures. 
We're sitting here on location in the heart of Grand Canyon National Park, speaking with Aurea Rusis. She's been guiding all over the world her entire life. She's been down in the Grand Canyon for the past 25 plus years. We're sitting on a bunch of boulders that have fallen from the Redwall Limestone, just downstream of President Harding Rapid. And Aurea, I was wondering if you could tell us about your introduction to running whitewater. When I was getting ready to graduate from high school, I was going around picking colleges, and I didn't really want to go to college, but I did want to play soccer, and uh, went to all the colleges to find out what kind of soccer teams they had, and uh, wasn't getting good answers. I wasn't looking at really good schools for that, and then I went to this one college, Hampshire College, on the tour, and there was kayaks by the swimming pool, and I was like, I've always wanted to kayak. And one of my teachers in high school was a kayaker. He'd always have the kayak on his car, and I'd think about it. And so I was like, oh, I'm going there. And they have a course on how to build a kayak. This is going to be so awesome. So I applied for school. The pre-college trips you had to sign up for, I signed up for kayaking. And ended up doing that class and thinking I was the worst one in the class because we swam all the time. They didn't teach us how to roll, but we were running class three within a week. And it was back old school, too, in, like, big, heavy wetsuits and really horrible paddle jackets and in a mirage, which is, like, ancient. And <laughs> a mirage is one of the first kayaks that were made out of plastic. So was, there was the Dancer, which is a little smaller, which, which is still longer than, like, any boat made today. And they're super narrow. And the little cockpit you would sit in was super small. Like, they're actually hard to get out of. Yeah. And... It was just difficult, but it was awesome. It was so much fun. I loved it. And I still, one of the people from that class is still one of my best friends who I see very often. So that was cool. And I did that. Then I didn't kayak for a couple years or try it anymore. I didn't really work into my schedule. And then I took another kayaking class. Yeah. And my kayak instructor, my new kayak instructor, is like, Araya, you're doing great. And I was like, yeah, I love it. I want to do it more. And he's like, you should become a raft guide for the summer. And then you can go kayaking all the time. So he sent me to where he learned to raft guide, which was the Koi River in Tennessee. And I did that. I went down it 10 times, and I was deemed worthy to take people <laughs> rafting down the Koi. And I bloodied some of them. I learned on a lot of small children. And I'd go kayaking every day after work. And that's what kind of started it. I really enjoyed it. Aurea, do you remember that moment where you realized that you wanted to spend your life on rivers and most of the time outside versus an office job? No. <laughs> uh, I kind of fell into it by accident and it just, good things kept happening to me and I kept saying yes to all these offers people were giving me and every time I said yes to one another offer would pop up and I'd end up going somewhere else and paddling somewhere even cooler and better and it's just like this is great and traveled all around the world met tons of different people and that was really fun you know it's led to a really rich lifestyle of tons of friends and places to go that I call home I don't have just one home I have many homes because of that so I just feel like anytime I go to a river I, I feel comfortable on it. Well, that's really obvious, running whitewater with you. It's an honor to be on the river with you on this trip. And I look forward to the next couple of weeks. And we will continue to record this interview as we go downstream. Aurea, can you tell us about why you feel comfortable on the edge of the river today and on the rivers of the world? What is it inside of you that makes you feel so at home and comfortable here in this environment? Well, Mandela, for me, going down a river is like reading a book. 
Like, I feel like once you know how to read water, you can go anywhere. And it's kind of the same, you know, big water behaves one way, creek water is another. But once you understand the nature of the water and how it moves, you can read the flow. So it's like reading a book. And what do I do in the winter in my off time when I'm not boating? I read books. <laughs> so it's just something that's really comfortable to me, just learning to know where the water's going to go, and then it's it's somewhat predictable. And when I go down rivers that I've been down a bunch, it's super friendly. Like I feel like you're getting little hugs by the river all the time, you know? The Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs are made possible by the support from listeners such as yourself. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon can offer you a subscription-style payment method in the amount of your choice in exchange for priority access to the Trail Less Traveled visual series, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and ad-free podcasting. Please consider helping keep my fiscal raft afloat by visiting patreon.com slash trail less traveled. We are sitting here recording the trail less traveled at the mouth of Monument Creek in the heart of Grand Canyon National Park. It's just right after a severe rainstorm and there's a trickle running into the main stream of Colorado River and that exact spot there is a beautiful rapid called Granite Rapids and I'm sitting here with Araya Rusis who is a Grand Canyon river guide as well as an international adventure guide. She's been down in the Grand Canyon for the past 25 years. Araya, I was wondering if you could describe to the listener where we are sitting right now. It's a radio program so they cannot see what you see and hear what you hear. Maybe you could paint the picture for them 360 degrees. All right, I'll try. Thanks Mandela. We're sitting on a giant rock, and we're about eight feet up from the bed of the small creek running in to the Colorado. It's called Monument Creek. It's flowing pretty good, actually, for this time of year. Usually it'd be a lot lower. You can hear frogs going off. I think some kind of little bullfrog, little canyon frogs, They're kind of chirping. They're not going ribbit, ribbit, but doing some kind of shrill sound. The sun is setting. Uh, it's set officially half an hour ago. So the sky is kind of a light blue and it's cleared. It was stormy earlier today. Just a few small clouds overhead. We have some acacia trees by us with little green leaves and they've got little claws on them that want to grab you. Um, there's a lot of prickly things down here that just want to grab you and scratch you and make you bleed. And in the background, you may hear it, but you can hear Granite Rapid. And um, it's a big rapid with lots of waves that goes right against a granite wall. It's uh, really, really cool. I really like that rapid. That is the voice of Araya Rusis, and we're sitting here in the heart of Grand Canyon National Park at the mouth of Monument Creek and Granite Rapids. Araya. I'd like it if you could tell us about this place. That is a pretty broad question, and I apologize, but maybe we can start with one of the things that you're passionate about sharing with your guests in the Grand Canyon. A lot of times guys will focus on one thing, but you have a wide knowledge of a lot of different elements of the canyon. Maybe you can share with us the favorite ones that you like to 
talk about with your guests? I suppose I say I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So I know a little bit about a lot of things down here, but I don't know anything in super depth. Like I should know more about rocks because I'm in the Grand Canyon and we're surrounded by rock, but uh, I find geology sort of frustrating. So I try to share that with people, but use no multi-syllable words and give as simple as description as possible because geology is really hard to understand because it takes place over hundreds of millions of years or even billions. So it's hard to get it through, like how slow time moves sometimes. What's my favorite thing to talk about? Well, whatever they want to talk about. If they want to talk about themselves, I'll talk about them. They want to talk about me? Well, yeah, we'll talk about me. Sometimes it's awkward. It's cool. And animals and plants. I like plants. Plants I can understand. In the evening, we'll look at stars. A lot of people have never seen the Milky Way or just really good stars if you're from a major city. So that's a big talking point sometimes. And just kind of what's going on around them. Just trying to give them general descriptions because... I don't think a lot of people look around them so much. And down here, that's what you do. You do a lot of looking. Aurea, can you tell us some of your favorite stories from your time on the river, past 25 years? Well, what do you mean by favorite stories? Like the ones that are disasters or the ones that make you happy? I mean, it seems like the ones you remember are always the bad ones. (laughs) Okay, the one time I thought I was going to die on a raft was I was in Nepal in 1995 in late September. I was running the Kaligandaki River, which is a five-day trip in Nepal. And the first day starts out with some big class four, almost class five. The rapids are so close together. And they had me in a gear boat, which was set up for a Nepali, which means it was too short for me. And we'd forgotten a couple life jackets, so Berendra was supposed to be in my raft with me, and he was, but he had no life jacket. So like, it was really important to keep it upright, because I didn't want to drown Berendra. He's really sweet. And made it through the big rapids, got to camp that night, and the next day I was just, you know, I'd been guiding for five years, so it's like when you're a fifth-year guide, you know everything. You know, you've been doing it long enough to get cocky, but you haven't been humbled. So I looked at the big rapid we were going to run that morning called Good Morning, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go right and then left. And there was all the little Nepalis I was working with, like, oh, Didi, which means older sister. Not not a good run, Didi. I'm like, no, I can totally make that run. It's not. Just go right and then left. They're like, oh, we're going to start left and stay left because of the big hole down there. I'm like, I'm not going to go in the big hole. I know what I'm doing. Okay, Didi. And uh, they go down, and those guys run left, and I'm, like, starting my far right run to go left. And I totally hit this little baby rock in the rapid, and it sent me right into the one place you didn't want to go, which was a pour-over where water's going over a drop about five or six feet high and landing with such force that it goes back in on itself. And not only was it doing that, but just, like, six feet downstream of it were two boulders in the river, so the water that was getting kicked out of that hole was going right back in the hole. Wow. So it's like super, super gnarly. And anyways, I take my 14-foot boat in there, 
with all the food on the trip and a lot of the gear and drop right into that. Oh, and we'd run into another raft trip that morning and they had um, given Brenda a life jacket. So he had a life jacket, which was good. We felt good about that. And uh, drop into the hole and Brenda and I just start high-siding. The whole boat started going around in circles in this ledge hole and wasn't coming undone, uh, coming out. And all the ropes that we used to tie everything in started coming undone. It was super violent. The whole boat was going up four or five feet. We'd jump on it. Then it would go around in a circle. The other side would go up and we'd jump on it. So, And then finally Brenda was just like, I'm tired or something. He just got slurped out of the boat. And it was just me high-siding. And the other guides at that point had gone through the rapid, pulled over, hiked back upstream, were watching me in this hole, but couldn't really do anything because you don't want to throw a throw bag into a hole because it could wrap on you and hurt someone. So they're just watching this. And finally, I was just like, I'm too tired. I'd been in there a long time. And it came out, and the whole boat flipped over me. And that's when I thought I was going to die because there were so many loose ropes at that point. What if I got tangled inside that? And I came out, yeah, hit my lip or nose. There's blood. One of the paddle boats picked me up and pulled me in. And... Everything had come off the boat, so, you know, I had lost all the uh, proteins for the trip, all the meat, all the eating utensils, all the plates, most of the food. Uh, we picked up some floating cookies and beer, beer floats, and, we, you know, this was day two of a five-day trip. What were we going to do? And uh, one of the guys on the trip was Nepali Chandra, and he went around to different villages as we were going downstream and found a... Uh, village that just had a celebration so they'd made all these plates out of leaves so we were using that which then we ate with our right hands like Nepalis do because we had no forks and we never knew what we were going to eat for the rest of the trip you know I'd be like I got curd I got a whole bunch of curd so we'll have that for dinner and then oh we got two chickens we'll have chickens for breakfast (laughs) it was a it was a long trip for Aurea you are on the trail less traveled, recorded on the edge of the Colorado River in the heart of Grand Canyon. We're sitting here with Aurea Rusis. She is a Grand Canyon River guide of over 25 years. She also guides internationally and recently came back from Chile, Futlafu. She is not only a whitewater river guide, she's also a keen whitewater kayaker and friend. Aurea, can you tell us a little bit about your time on the rivers of the West? You guide in Idaho and Oregon and Northern California. In Arizona and the Grand Canyon. Canyon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I work for a bunch of different companies so that I can do different trips. I like, personally, longer trips, multi-days. I like camping out. I like sleeping out. I like watching the group dynamics of a trip change over time. You know, I, I I love whitewater and going down the river. You know, that's super fun, but... At this point, you know, I'm not working rivers that are super high adrenaline, class 5 plus, you, you blow the move and you die. You know, it's more enjoyable. And I can look around and watch how people evolve out here, which is it's absolutely fascinating. The Grand Canyon offers the longest trips that I do. And then I work in Idaho, six-day trips there, which more family-oriented, and I like that. 
And when I'm in Oregon and Northern California, I have some class five, but I also do a lot of trips with little kids, like four day trips. And I find those are the ones that might have the most impact on me because seeing, you know, families bring their like four to eight year old, 10 year old kids, they're just, they're just really cute. And uh, (laughs) I think there's mutual love between us you know they just give you hugs and all they want to do is build a sandcastle and play (laughs) in the water you know it's just like it's easy but hard and rewarding at the same time. Abrea what are some of the differences you've noticed running rivers in say Nepal South America versus running rivers in the Grand Canyon and up in Idaho? Um, well, there's so many, I don't even know where to go with that one, to be honest. When I was working in Nepal, it was in the 90s, I was taking backpackers, and the trips were like $300 for a 10-day trip, and yeah, you're on the cook crew, you got to build the toilet, but it's awesome, <laughs> you know, and make sure you bring lots of rum so you enjoy cooking. And now I'm, I'm working super high-end, really, canyon trips in Idaho, and uh, rafting's expensive, the gear's expensive. Guides need to be paid. Permits need to be paid. So it brings a certain kind of clientele down here where the backpackers are what I took in Nepal and here in the U.S. It's fairly wealthy families. I do some youth trips here and there, and those are fun. You know, kids that just graduated from eighth grade Waldorf school or something, and those are special. I don't do too many of those, but I really like them. It's more like a service industry here, but you're trying to give them something a little bit more than they'd get from going out to eat. (laughs) Something that's a little bit more memorable. Speaking of memories and knitting the fabric of family bonds, uh, I think that this day, as far as multi-day expeditions are concerned, is one of the more epic days for a human to hike into Grand Canyon and often run three of the biggest rapids not back-to-back, but, you know, within the same period of a few hours. I don't know. Tell us about what your guests on this very trip that you're on right now did today. And what they're going to do tomorrow. Well, half the people were already on the trip. So, but we woke them up super, super early this morning. And they started functioning around 5 a.m. And getting camp broken down, saying goodbye to their friends that they've made. And... Then we hiked out half the people, and then another nine people hiked in today. They hiked in seven and a half miles with anywhere from a 20 to 40-pound pack on their backs. A lot of them are not super fit. There's a couple exceptionally fit, but most of them, like, it was hard. You know, they're going to feel it in their knees and their thighs tomorrow. They've got blisters on their feet. They're tired, and they started hiking at 5.15. They got up at 4.15. And then we took them down, gave them all these lectures, fed them lunch, made them pack bags, you know, just kind of generally just doing whatever we say, these complete strangers. Mm -hmm. And then they jumped on a boat with us and got on the river and just said goodbye to any kind of contact with civilization for the next eight days. And we ran one big rapid horn and a couple smallers. And they did awesome, and I think they're probably all asleep by now. It's not very late. It's only like 8.15. Well, tomorrow we're going to run some big white water, and it starts with my favorite rapid, which is granite. And I'm pretty stoked. (laughs) It's going to be a good day. 
Hello there, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. I want to thank our premier sponsors for The Trail Less Traveled, New West Knife Works and The Mountain Man Toy Shop. Handmade knives and tools forged in their factory on the western slope of the Tetons in Victor, Idaho. New West Knife Works makes knives like they cook, using the best ingredients and preparing them with patient hands of an artist. Their aim is to bring more joy to everyday chores by making tools that are as beautiful as they are useful. See for yourself by visiting newwestknifeworks.com. Use promo code MANDELA for 10% off your entire purchase, which will not only set you up with a knife that you will pass down for generations, this also supports the Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs. Visit newwestknifeworks.com using promo code M-A-N-D-E-L-A. This evening, the trail less traveled is being recorded just downstream of Lava Falls Rapid. We are 183 miles downstream of Lee's Ferry on the Colorado River. We're at a camp that's called Chevron. And <laughs> I'm here with my really good friend and mentor, Araya Rusis. And Araya has been guiding here in Grand Canyon for over 25 years. She's also an international adventure guide who is based on many different rivers. After this, she's heading up to Alaska. Araya, I'd like to ask you now about how you feel in terms of the importance of spending time in the wilderness on multi-day river expeditions. Well, Mandela, I find it just one of the most amazing experiences to sleep outside, look at the stars, sleep on the ground, and take in the energy of the earth. Like, I feel like the energy coming out of the earth is actually super healing. And I know that makes me sound like some, like, hippie person, but there is energy coming out of the earth, and it does connect you more to your surroundings I we spend a lot of time looking at phones and TVs and watching a lot of media that's not necessarily something we need but something we crave and when we're out here we find what we need more it's more basic and you're also connecting with the people around you and when we go down these trips we're a tribe we don't even want to see another river trip. I mean, you see another river trip and you're kind of like, oh, more people. That's kind of a drag, you know? And you're just, you're in the moment. And I think more people need to do that. And I think it, it's healing. And I think people get away from that and they just need to disconnect and feel the energy of the earth, even if it makes me sound like a hippie, which I'm not. Aurea, what would you say to those who are a little intimidated about the idea of living outside for more than a couple days? Well, basically, you're afraid of your basic bodily functions, then you need to get over that. I meet a lot of people that have never been camping outside before, and within a couple days, they've got it down, you know? I mean, we're camping out, we're sleeping on the ground, we're pooping in a can, but... For people who come on a river trip with companies I work, it's pretty darn luxurious. You don't have your TV, you don't have your house you can hide in, but you have something comfortable to sleep on, you have the right clothes to wear, 
You're getting three warm meals a day. You get first aid. You have people around you that care about you. And you're doing something fun in a super beautiful place that you couldn't see any other way. So I think it's worth it to kind of suck up on those things like pooping in a can or sleeping on the ground. If you don't like sleeping on the ground, well, groom the sand before you put your pad down. Sleep in the tent so you don't have to worry about snakes or bugs. It takes a few extra minutes to put away when you wake up in the morning, but it's not, it's not really that big a deal because you get to be outside in a place there's no one else. Now, how awesome is that? Aurea, you mentioned so you don't have to worry about snakes or bugs, and that's very relevant because they do coexist with us down here in this environment, but how often have you encountered snakes while sleeping on the ground in Grand Canyon? I rarely sleep on the ground in Grand Canyon because I'm a super dorky river guide and I sleep on my boat. When I sleep on the ground, though, I put my tarp around me. <laughs> I put it on the ground, spread it out, put my pad on top, and then I put my bag by my head, and I always sleep in a place where there's lots of other people walking around. The snakes don't like us. They're, they're shy. So with, you know, 30 people tromping around with their feet, they're, they're going to wander away. They're not really interested in my area. And if they are, I've just never seen them in that kind of area. But if you're worried about it, just sleep in the tent. They're not going to get in the tent. So you see them, but not very often. Generally, when you see a snake, it's on a hike and you've surprised it. When we get off the boats, they go into hiding. They don't want to get stepped on or bothered. They know they can't eat us or get food from us. That's the voice of Aurea Rusis. You are on the trail as traveled. We're recording on the Grand Canyon. We're sitting right next to the water's edge. The sun has set and it's getting darker. We don't have a torch with us right now, but it's going to be all right. No, Aurea does. She's a professional. <laughs> I've got my recording equipment that has it. It has it. Well, I never have shoes. Come okay. on. <laughs> Anyways, Aurea, I'd like for you to potentially share with us an experience that you may have had where you learned a lesson from that experience, one of which you can share with the listener. I feel like I've learned so many lessons just in general. The most basic one I've learned is not to be cocky at all. Like, humble is the way to go because if you're not humble, then you're going to get your ass kicked. I mean, I don't know if I can say that on the radio, but just be appreciative of your surroundings the people you're with just be grateful even the person who's kind of annoying that you because I'm working commercial trips like drives you nuts there's something good about them and you just have to find that one part of them that you think they have a nice smile just remind yourself of that and in two weeks you're like they're amazing you get through whatever initially bothered you and you learn to appreciate them and realize that every person has value. Well, here we are, three years later. That's how it goes sometimes. The last time I was sitting with my friend Orea recording this episode was back in 2019. We were guiding an expedition together on the Grand Canyon. And, you know, things get busy on the river. So we didn't finish the interview. But here we are now in Missoula, and it's a lovely Tuesday afternoon, drinking tea, and we're finishing up the interview so that we can air it for our beautiful community here in Missoula. 
So I just want to first start with saying thank you to Araya for joining me again on the trail less traveled three years later. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for still being my friend. Same. Igualmente. Now, Araya, it just parked right out front, is a beautiful sprinter van that um, you live part of the time in nomadically. You've guided all over the world, but you are currently based out of that beautiful sprinter van. And I was wondering if you could share a couple of tips for someone on the nomadic lifestyle. Well, I'm, I think, a little bit different than a lot of those nomad people that everybody follows on Instagram. They have these beautiful vans that they did themselves with wood inside and showers and kitchens. And I didn't, I didn't want the, I just wanted some place to sleep. I wanted to be able to go somewhere, do something fun, and then fall asleep. So I have an awesome bed in there. But right now, since it's the middle of the season and I've been working on a bunch of different rivers, I'm sleeping with two sets of oars on my bed. I need to figure out some place to put those. <laughs> so I'm spending even less time in there than I usually do. But it's great. When I want to lay down, I can. But it forces me to go out and meet people and go out and do things because I don't want to sit in my van. But it's really comfortable every other time. And it's awesome to drive around. Yeah, super fun. That's awesome. That's really nice to hear because sometimes people put that barrier up that they have to have the perfect setup before they can start living in their rig, and that's not true. No, I literally bought the cheapest van on the lot. Um, that's the shortest one and in both ways, tall and length, but it's plenty big. I mean, I still lose stuff in there that I can't find, and I have a cooler for stuff, and I have all my gear for whatever I need and sometimes I even have too much in there that I go and drive by the Goodwill and drop off a donation after I clean my car out nice. <laughs> try to keep it streamlined and simple yeah because it's all about doing things and not just sitting in my van I don't know reading a book <laughs> that's a really good bit of advice as well I remember when I was living in a short bus with my partner the rule was when something new came in something old had to leave yeah, yeah, you just run out of space. I mean, right now it's a little overwhelming with the uh, three sets of oars, actually, and um, I need to figure I, I can't get rid of those, but I need to figure out how to hang them or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the oars and, you know, why you can't live without those. Someone listening might be like, what? You know, what's an oar? What's a paddle? <laughs> There's a difference there. We can talk about it later if you'd like, but Araya, I would love it if you could try to explain to whoever's listening out there what you just did over the past six weeks it's hard to explain to someone who's not a guide what that's like but you literally have been on the water doing back-to-backs for six weeks and before that you were on the grand canyon yeah no i'm um i'm tired right now actually i'm 52 so i'm especially tired uh i've been guiding since may 1st pretty much full on and the last six weeks just in idaho and it's it's hard on your feet and your hands. It's just trying to stay, trying to stay healthy, not get hurt, not fall. You know, I've had a couple bad falls. The rocks are slippery there, so everybody has cuts. All the guides have tons of cuts on their legs, and you just got to keep them clean. But it's uh, it's a challenge. It's definitely, and it's a mental challenge too, because you're constantly meeting new people who are pretty awesome. You want to be their friend. They want to be your friend. You know, mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's, it's a great problem to have, but it takes a lot of energy. So right now, I have a couple weeks off, 
and I'm just going to work on getting my energy back and sleeping a lot. Mm. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to a bunch of sleep. With all the whitewater stuff, you mentioned the oars. I have my own oars because that's like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but let's say you're a computer programmer, having your own computer, you know, it's just something that you use and it's really important to your work and you have to have exactly specific what you want or the special chair you sit at your desk at. Um, my oars are built for me, perfectly balanced. I have them in all different sizes. I have three sets of oars because I never know what boats I'm rowing. So I want to have the kind of oars I need. And all the companies do provide oars, but sometimes they're really heavy, like smokers just kill me. That's a brand from Oregon. Or they have these like plastic ones that are all bent out of shape and they hurt my shoulders and uh, elbows. And I finally learned that if I spend some time getting my own oars, then my arms are happier and then I'm happier. I'm not in pain. And I just got the best set of oars ever from Moab, Songbird Oars. He asked me what I wanted and I said I wanted them perfectly balanced. So they almost feel like little clouds in my hands. They're so light and I wanted them really beautiful and he exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I, people come up to me and they take photos of my oars all the time. That's how beautiful they are. So they're just a joy to row rapids with. Songbird oars. Well, I have lots to thank Aurea for, starting with an amazing friendship, but she also opened my eyes to the beauty of good oars. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for for 15 years, I just used whatever ones the company had. I also don't like using smokers. (laughs) But... um, It's not every day you meet someone who lets you borrow their $1,000 oars and use them on the Grand Canyon to just try them out. And Aurea did that. She let me borrow them last year, and it was like night and day. If you're a guide listening to this and you're wondering if you should invest in good oars, I'd say don't wait as long as I did. Go for it. <laughs> I agree. It's It's been a game changer. I thought I would be retiring in a couple of years because I was having so much pain, but no. It's got a few more years left in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as I get some rest. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's just keen to start enjoying the river? Well, it kind of depends where you are living and where you are in your life. You know, for me, I was in college, and so we had a whitewater program, and I think Missoula has a great whitewater program, the outdoor program they have is excellent. So any college usually has an outdoor program. Sign up for a canoe trip or a water safety class. Go on a raft trip if they offer it. Super fun. It's a great way to be like, I think I like this. I think I would. I would, you know, and just find other like-minded people. And then after I did a couple of those trips, I just went and bought a kayak. And we just went out and learned. That's kind of a hard way to do it, though. You swim a lot. So there's local places where you can learn kayaking. And then if you're like, I really like this. I actually want to do it for like a job. Out west, guide schools are the way to go. And you don't have to go to like the most expensive guide school. You just need to get out there. And once you go through it and you decide, I like this, work for a summer on a river. And it's super fun. I really think it's the best summer job ever. And then if you still like it, move to other rivers. You know, the whole idea of being able, well, going down the rivers, you know, just being outside having joy floating down the river and you can travel all over the world doing this it is a it's a skill and 
take it anywhere. And once you learn how to read water and navigate, you can go on any river anywhere. Like it's like reading a book. You learn the language of the water. And it's uh it's awesome. Yeah. If uh you didn't want to go to a guide school like back east, they don't really do guide schools. You could just go to a company and say, I want to work on your river. I like your company. And they'll just train you. Yeah. So kind of depends on where you are. But it's a pretty great community. I've been part of it for a long time. And people like to have fun and go out and just do fun things outside. (laughs) That's pretty great. That's beautiful. It really resonates with me once again, because that's how I discovered Whitewater was the University of Montana's outdoor program. They do an orientation rafting trip for new students. And I was like, wait, you guys are getting paid? And then I just started volunteering and showing up and making myself available, especially when someone didn't show up. Mm -hmm. I'm available, you know, so that's how I got into it. And it's certainly shaped who I am today. And I love what you said about it's like reading a book. You can do it anywhere in the world. Just absolutely fantastic. And and that's taken Araya all over the world as well. Definitely honored that she's here in Missoula visiting us now. Araya, Mm. let's, (laughs) let's end your show with three bits of advice. Have fun. I mean, what's the point of anything if you're not enjoying it? Work hard, but enjoy your work. You know, find joy in it. And, oh, what's my third one? I need a good one, huh? Make friends. You know, I think uh, finding your tribe, your people, is really important, especially today with COVID's been really weird. We were all kind of living separately and afraid to be together. But when you have your tribe, even when you're not together, you're together. So I think that's pretty important. Namaste, Missoula, and my friends around the world. You've been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. This has been episode 461. You can stream the show live online at trail1033.com. And of course, you can listen to it locally on the Trail 1033 FM. If you missed the premiere of the show, which is every Sunday evening from 6 to 7 Mountain Time, check out the podcast, which is available on all platforms. If the show has ever inspired you or made you laugh, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and write us a review. This truly helps this new genre of adventure radio. The Trail Less Traveled is dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from some of the most remote locations around the world. Produced at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. Travel savviness is a process born of missed buses, foolish behavior, cultural unawareness, and countless tiny errors. Then one day, you begin to seamlessly move through airports and integrate yourself into new cultures like a fish to the water. I have one travel tip to share with you this evening, and it might sound familiar for those of you who watch South Park, but the tip is to always pack a towel. It's the key to successful galactic hitchhiking and plain common sense. You never know when you will need it, whether it's at the beach, on a picnic, or just to dry off. While many hostels offer towels, you never know, and carrying a small towel won't add that much weight to your bag. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please get outside 
and do something for Mother Earth. And shred the gnar. Because, as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. <laughs>